What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and this is the Live and Create Podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. And on today's podcast, we have Bindia Schaefer. Bindia is the author of Corinth 2642 AD, and before moving to the San Francisco Bay Area, she lived in Dubai, UAE, and Bangalore, India, where she worked as a defense and aerospace journalist. When she's not writing, she's camping in the California wilderness, where she also writes, with her husband and her baby dog. In her recent book, Corinth 2642 AD, she dives into the story of a post-racial world colliding with a small cult that has committed to racial purity. And it's from that premise that in this podcast, we jump off into topics of nationalism, race, and religion, and how it affects culture at large. And she also shares her story of stepping out into becoming a full-time author. It's a great, great interview. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. I was uh, I was going through your Instagram, and there was yeah. one thing I, I definitely want to dive in a bunch of topics. I can't mm-hmm. wait to hear about your book you have coming out mm-hmm. in September, right? Correct. Yeah. And but there was something that that stuck out to me. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the Neil Gaiman uh, book. You were holding it up. It was uh, it's actually I guess it, it's a book, but it's based off his commencement speech. Yeah, uh, something I, about I know mistakes. exactly. Um, I know I, I'm fighting what the title is, but I know exactly which one you mean. It was, um, I think it was a Christmas or maybe a birthday present from my Tanya. So shout out to my friend Tanya. <laughs> What's up, Tanya? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that speech, uh, and I, one, uh, what, what threw me off is I didn't even know it was published as an actual book. And so now I'm going to go order that probably right after <laughs> this podcast. But that speech has been an, uh, a speech that I have gone back to over and over and over again throughout my career as an artist. As uh, yeah. a good friend of mine, I man, it was probably over a decade ago um, that a good friend of mine named V Tran, former podcast guest as well, uh, he had encouraged me to listen to it. And it, mm. it there's so many little nuggets so much good advice. as an artist, um, you know, and especially one that always stuck out to me was the piece where he talked about, like, if you're going towards the mountain, towards the goal, you know, yeah. you take each step, but sometimes you've already gone too far to where now you're backtracking. So don't backtrack yeah. and, and all those. So was, what role has that, that book played for you as an artist in that speech? Oh my gosh. Um, I have to say, I read that book a long, long time ago, but I think I read it at a time when I was feeling really low about the book that's coming out now because I'd been querying it for a while and everyone kept telling me, oh, it's never going to be published. It's, you know, it's not the trend, whatever. And I think what struck me was, I think he talked about perseverance and just keep going forward. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if it's good enough for Neil Gaiman, it's good enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it seemed to work out okay for him. I I think it's all right. (laughs) He did. He did okay. That guy. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, this is your first published work, right? That's yes. coming out. Um, My so first what, work of fiction, yeah. First work of fiction, and how do you have you been writing uh, like nonfiction before, or what? What have you been doing before this? Yeah, so I was a defense and aerospace journalist for about eight years. I was based out of Bangalore in India, and I worked for publications abroad worked for newspapers, magazines, websites, and um, most of that time was dedicated to um, to the aerospace industry. So r- writing is, you know, my bread and butter. It was white papers, news articles, um, just things like that. And I did that for the longest time. And then I decided, I just, you know, I was unhappy because of 
the culture. It didn't pay very well. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go over to the dark side. I need to get out of here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I moved to the Bay Area. I got a job um, in marketing communications. And there was this okay. looking back. But it's also very heavy on the writing. So you've been doing uh, more marketing and everything for a while now. Yeah, what for was the last it four years. That, that inspired you, though, to step out and, and do your first work of fiction and push it out there? Yeah, I think I probably always fantasized about it, um, especially in my early 20s. I always thought, oh, my gosh, maybe I could. I mean, if I can write a 10,000 word white paper, I should be able to, you know, crank out something cool and fun and uh, fiction. Right. But I don't know. I think life just sort of got in the way and and I just never had the, the mental capacity to just sit down and focus on art, mm-hmm. like making good art, like Neil Gaiman puts it. Um <laughs> And then um, I think it was um, 2018, um, I took a break from work because I was uh, transitioning between visas. And and I thought, what am I going to do with all this free time? And around that same time, my husband and I, we were were binge watching The X-Files all over again. (laughs) That would be a good binge watch. I have not done that since it's available to do that. I love that series. Do it. Oh, so good. So good so good I, I can't even find the words <laughs> but we were binge watching and we were just at season one and I was and I since I moved to the U.S. I'd been noticing you know that sometimes I'm the only person of color in a room hmm. or I go to a concert or the mall or whatever I'm like hmm, it's just me I'm the only one here and anyway we, we were watching the X-Files and I said why is it that the only black guy on the show is evil? Like, why? (laughs) No other person of color. Like, what is that about? And I just went on this tirade about, you know, how 50, 60 years from now, you know, everyone's going to be multicultural, multi-ethnic. And my husband was like, what are you talking about? My husband's German, by the way. He's he's white and he is the sweetest guy in the world. So, Alex. (laughs) What's up, Alex? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so I just went on this tangent about you know, literally, we're an interracial couple. Most of our friends are either immigrants or interracial couples. Mm-hmm. And if we had kids and those kids had other kids and so on, really, what is the world going to look like 50, 60, 100 years from now? You know, if you ask someone where you're from, they're just going to do San Francisco and that's going to be the end of it. There's probably not going to be any follow questions about but where are you really from, right? Because right. you're multicultural, multi-ethnic. And while we were having this deep discussion while watching The X-Files, it occurred to me that, you know, probably not everyone is going to buy into this globalized, multicultural, multi-ethnic world. And it's going to be probably a group of people, hint, hint, wink, wink, who <laughs> hold on to, <laughs> hold on to, you know, being pure-blooded and, yeah. you know, holding on to their cultural whatever. And that was really, you know, where the idea sprung from, that little seed. Yeah, so I imagine, you know, and the book is set in the 27th century in a small town called Corinth in Oregon, okay. where there's a little cult that's holding on to their ideologies of being absolutely pure and white, and they've essentially just cut their cut themselves off from the rest of the world, right. and they're discovering, you know, what it means to be part of this brave new world. And so in this, in this world at this point, uh, and I don't know if this would be the right term for it, but is it almost like a post-racial society uh, outside of the cult simply because yep. uh, so many cultures have integrated? Exactly. Yep. So people just don't identify by the color of their skin anymore. You know, you're, 
no longer just Asian, black, white, Indian, whatever. You're just a person. Right. Well, and it's crazy because I, especially, I think over the last few years, it, it was a moment of, of like realization Mm -hmm. where I thought we were already headed there (laughs) yeah. and then realizing that there's a lot of places where they're not. And there's there's places almost, it seems like stepping backwards. Uh, So it's a really interesting concept as we look to the, well, statistically though, it is shifting overall. Mm -hmm. It's just there, the pockets that keep holding on. And so, yeah, I, I think it could be a really interesting, I'm I'm excited to kind of dive into that world and, and see what that looks like for you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I don't think it's just the United States, though. I I do see that coming up in other parts of the world, even in India, for instance, Mm. right? Because India is a secular, diverse country, but you wouldn't really know it from reading the news or even visiting because people think of it as a right-wing Hindu country. But that's not true. We have Jews, Muslims, Christians. We have all kinds of people. And it's, but so there, there, are they dealing though with some of the same issues that, that we're seeing right, right now? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's, um, there's an extreme right wing wave that's taking Mm -hmm. over the country. And and that's really sad to see. What is crazy. It's like even seeing in like England, uh, they're having a lot of that. uh, What's the term that that I'm looking for right now? Um, I can't think of it where it's like, um, like not ethnocentric. Um, yeah, like neo Nazis. No, um, where it's like, God, I cannot think of this word. <laughs> it's too early in the morning, Miguel. <laughs> I guess so. I'm only on the third cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> where <laughs> you're like, oh God, I'm like, I'll be shaking. I know pretty three, soon. trees a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's half calf though. I, I do half calf just to so I can drink more throughout the oh, day. Oh, boy. I, there's some okay. kind of habit that I just like enjoy. How many <laughs> enjoy cups do you go to a day? Let's talk about this. This is more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have an intervention here. Um, well, like today, so I've had, I did one other interview. So I've had this cup, which is like, I don't know how many ounces. And then this cup as well. So I do, it's okay. two cups per interview and two interviews for today. So. <laughs> okay. You have two, you have one cup in each hand. That's a problem. You need to switch yeah. to tea or hot water or something. <laughs> I do water and Gatorade the rest of the time just to try oh to catch boy. up. Okay. Just, That's a lot of sugar but, too. <laughs> but after this, I might have to sit and reflect on my yeah. use of caffeine. <laughs> God, I cannot think of it though. Um, essentially, ethos, it's where protectionism, where you, it's all about your own country. You're, mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's nationalism? Like a, nationalism, thank you. <laughs> I could not think about it. It seems like there's such a rise of nationalism all around the world like yeah. it's not just a uniquely american problem it's interesting yeah. though because i don't hear a lot about india in the news to be honest yeah. like um but to hear that same kind of thing but one thing i have heard i think is the just kind of the anti-science or we're like we have that movement here you know where mm-hmm. it's like i don't believe in the vaccine i don't believe in science all these kind of things it sounds like uh india has some issues with that that same kind of thread running through yeah. for it yeah, it's definitely a theme that I'm I'm seeing crop up. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly wasn't that way about maybe 10 years ago when I lived there. I think it was starting to crop up then, but it's definitely gotten a lot worse. Yeah, I remember the last time I was in India, I think it was like four years ago. And um, I was at the salon and this lady told me I got to take my shoes off because, you know, people like me have dirty feet. And I was like, people like me, like, what does that even mean? 
a girl. And that's what yeah, they meant? A, no, no, no. She meant, because no. um, I'm not, I guess, um, uh, it, it was a Hindu establishment, like, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of places. And okay. I guess if you've lived in India a long time, you're able to discern wh- where a certain person is from based on their name, their accent maybe. And um, Interesting. yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, okay, all right. I'll take and my so they off. they viewed you simply as unclean because of your name and, and accent. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. Have you seen um I, I don't know if you like horror movies or not, but uh have you seen the new Purge movie? I have not, no. At all. Do you like horror movies? I don't. Okay, it you doesn't won't appeal like to me. So. Yeah, you won't like this movie, and I will just move on to the topics. <laughs> but it, it dives into a lot of these political, like, kind of conversations and where okay. it could go. Um, it's interesting, but yeah, you won't like it if you don't like horror movies because it's it's okay. a rough ride. It's a very very rough ride. Um, yeah, I, but, I think it's just too much blood and gore, so not for me. No, I get that. I get that. Yeah. It's not for everybody. Um, so when you so you had this extra time, right? And you started yes. laying out these ideas for you. Um, for you was it just kind of a natural flow into it or was there was there kind of a fear moment of needing to overcome and step out and do it it was it was a state of constant fear it was blood sweat and tears for, for for the nine months that it took me to write yeah it was i think because i'd been so used to writing you know technical articles creating marketing plans it was suddenly oh my gosh can i translate all of this all of the skill set that I have to something that's different, that's creative. Um, and I had a very specific vision in mind for the story. I knew it, it was almost like a movie running in my head, but I had a really hard time putting it into words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know a lot of writers at the time. I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't like social media. I, you would, I mean, I, I would go kicking and screaming, you know, if you have to like get me into it. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I was very lucky. I connected with some writers and I did a lot of research and and that did help me. And I realized, okay, so I'm not the only one. It's normal to feel all of this fear and pressure and anxiety. And and somehow that got me over the hump, just knowing that it, it wasn't just me. That's awesome. But yeah, no, it was a long, long winding road. Yeah, it does help. I know like in writing for as a songwriter, talking to other songwriters where the times I've had blocks where I just I feel like there's nothing like I'll go through seasons where just kicking out song after song. And then all of a sudden it's like you're slamming your head against a wall and just talking to other people and having that that camaraderie of like, oh, you slam your head against a wall, too. It's it's a freeing moment. Like, okay, okay, I'm not I'm not horrible. I shouldn't quit. Yeah, no, I, I think for me, Corinth was especially hard to write because of the subject matter, because I was drawing on a lot of my own personal experiences, dealing with racism and unconscious bias. And I didn't realize that putting it into words was going to affect me as much as it did. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to approach it, you know, really objectively and it was all going to be fine, but it was it was really challenging. Yeah, I imagine trying to dig into those topics uh would be tough to, to go into my, my oldest son, uh, he's mixed and he, him, as he's had to internally reflect on mm-hmm. those things, uh, it's just been a hard journey for him and a yeah. journey for all of us as a family, as we process things with him. Um, and then for you to then take it another step further and now create a story, engaging people and inviting them into that processing, yeah. uh, I, I think it could be a huge moment. 
Yeah, I think the other challenging bit was how do I tell the story without really pissing people off, right? Because <laughs> it is a really hard topic. And and um, a lot of people who read it early on, they were like, oh no, this is anti-white. People are going to hate it. And I was like, no, it's not anti-white. It's pro-POC. It's pro-anti-racism. That's what it is. It's It's not against any one person or ethnicity or group. I'm telling it the way it is. I'm telling it the way many of us experience it day in and day out. Right. And 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 that was bewildering to me that people were were offended by it. They're like, oh my gosh, no publisher's ever going to touch this thing. That's interesting. So people that you were shopping it to offended by yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And I had, um, I think, I sent it off to a couple of other writers whom I'd known, um, you know, just to get their feedback. Opinions. Mm-hmm. They were like, "This is great, but I don't think it's going to see the light of day." <laughs> oh man! But here we are. It's about yeah. to see the light of but day. Here we are. <laughs> Get, you're like, what's yeah, thank up God. Now? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's it's interesting though. <clears throat> excuse me. So I I live in the Midwest, um, but I I've spent a lot of time just touring as a musician. And when I go out to the West Coast, it seems very it, it seems very liberal, very open uh, yeah. to different cultures. And so it's interesting to hear like you living in the Bay Area, but yeah. also still, it sounds like still dealing with the realities of racism each day. I mean, yeah, uh, think about it. I mean, what was it earlier in February, March? Um, there was like a string of violence against Asians in San Francisco, in Oakland, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it's not it's it's not in one little pocket of the country. It's it's happening. It's real. It's yeah. It's it's hard. Were there were there any specific moments? Um, and if you don't feel comfortable sharing them, it, mm-hmm. it, that's fine and we can move on. But I'm curious if there's any specific moments for you that you've experienced that you felt really drove, you were able to translate and put into the book. Um, this is not a really big one, but um, <clears throat> I think the one thing that really, really gets my goat is when people who've met me maybe three or four times still can't say my name right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I get it. We've met once, and I'm terrible with names, so I'm probably gonna have to ask someone, you know, a couple of times. What was I again? Sarah, Zena, I don't know, whatever. And but if you've met me and you've seen me every single day and you still can't say my name right, like that really annoys me because you obviously don't respect me enough to to learn my name, and then you're westernizing it and you know, telling me things like, oh, you should, you know, use your middle name. It's much easier to pronounce. I'm like, no, it's not. It's equally difficult. Like, what are you talking about? So people literally suggest you use your middle name. Yeah, it's it's wow. Carmeline. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's a very Catholic name. But okay. it's it's really not that much easier than Bindia. So, <laughs> like, but I, I get seriously. that a lot. <laughs> if you can well, say it, Angelina Jolie, you can say Bindia, okay? Right, exactly. And well, and it's... It's interesting too because you know I am I'm Puerto Rican, but mm-hmm. I I present and look as a white guy. I just live yeah. my life like that. It's just and there's a lot of things I never really knew, or it's just like my friends who are black and have like an afro, and f- them explaining to me how often people just want to reach up and touch their hair. Like it seems like yeah. it's such a subtle thing, but it's yeah. like to them they're like this is an invasion of of my body yeah. and myself yeah. or or like that like if you have a name that's different you know like i i just when i was a substitute teacher i would just say my name's mr c because i knew yeah. no one 
could say my name. It's like, I'm not even yeah. going to bother with this. Um, even as a performer, I go by Miguel Antonio because I, I decided most people aren't going to be able to say my last name, but yeah. it's, but to hear you, even those, those everyday things, it's yeah. like a lot of people, if your name's John or Sam, you don't yeah. know what that's like to, <laughs> to have it go out or Karen, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. And so for you, you're trying to weave yeah. even some of these, these subtle things into the book as well. Yeah, the name thing definitely made it in because I realized as I was writing it that it truly did bother me. And mm-hmm. our main character, um, Jimmy Matu, his his last name is Indian and he is biracial. And constantly you see, you know, different characters mispronouncing it and saying, what was it, Matthews? Like, what is it? And and he's constantly correcting them. And it's it, it just felt so cathartic to put it out. There was like, yes, come on. Hmm. You know, now we share the pain. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you know well it's yeah. uh i have a friend uh lives out in long island and uh uh-huh. he's a sikh and his name i called him nav it's n-a-v and mm-hmm. from the moment i met him it's i know him for years and it's nav and it's funny because we actually i did an interview with him and yeah. at this point known him probably for five years and spent so much time with him i i stayed at his house with his family and always called him nav and then he finally corrected me and he said in the interview and he was like, Hey, real quick, it's actually Nuv. And I was like, Oh, I felt like such shit. Like I was like, Oh, oh my no. God. And, but he, it was interesting because he explained to me where he lived to where he never corrected people. He was, yeah. it was just kind of like his, the way they were growing up in Long Island, New York, like mm-hmm. you just don't correct people, but yeah. he, he went over and, and visited his family and then came back and it suddenly he was like, I'm going to celebrate my culture. And that's where he yeah. was like, so luckily he was like, I'm not offended. I never corrected you, but now I, I, I do. Now I am yeah, correcting good for him. And because it is my heritage is my culture. Yeah. And it even made me process my own part of going by like Mr. C and stuff like yeah. that, where like, how do you honor your own own culture and own heritage instead of just um I guess living subservient to the culture around you in a way yeah I mean if it's important to you gotta make people see that somehow understand it right I mean if it's, if you have to correct them 10 million times then well that's what you're gonna have to do <laughs> and they're either gonna like say hey what's up man or <laughs> right or, or they're finally hey learn there, it or they yeah. just won't be around anymore <laughs> exactly and you know what good riddance because if you don't respect me enough to learn my name, do you deserve to be in my life? I don't know. Probably not. Right. Right. Well, and it's interesting to hearing you talk about it. Uh, think about my conversation with Nuv. Uh, it's like, that seems like such a subtle thing. It's like the word yeah. I was using with it. But when it's, I imagine when it's every day, it becomes some of the heavier things because yeah. people don't even notice it or see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really why I appreciate when, like you did and so many people even at my work always ask hey how do I pronounce your name it's such a small little thing but it really does make me feel so much better just knowing that you know you took the time and effort to learn it that's cool that's really cool to hear um as I I think about the topic that you're talking about in what you're putting in your book Mm -hmm. um when you're writing do are you coming from a perspective of trying to help uh, a person of color feel like they are heard, feel like they, they are not alone? Or are you coming from a, a perspective of trying to hopefully educate someone who is not? 
and not used to living in that world? Or is it a little of both? I think probably a little bit of both. Um, <clears throat> my husband, um, he read every version of every chapter as I wrote it. And I think he was pretty mind blown by all the stuff that I put in there because he probably never even thought about it, right? Because mm-hmm. why would he? he? He had never experienced racism or any sort of conflict. And to see that it wasn't just me. And now he's realizing, because um, he has a colleague at work who's also Indian, and he is now making the effort to really learn his name. Like he, like you, he'd been pronouncing it a different way and, and the kid had never corrected him. But he kept asking, like, how do you really pronounce it? And now he knows. And I thought, well, if I can make, you know, you see it the way I do, then that's good enough for me. It's, it's those little things. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I like that. I, I asked that because are you familiar with Kayla Ankrum? Kay Ankrum. I actually listened to your interview with her a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yeah. And her perspective was really eye-opening because, so I'm in the realm of, I'm constantly just trying to be educated in, in this. (laughs) So I was thinking from uh, like her coming from the LGBTQ community um, and like her writing these, these books that are representing that community. Mm -hmm. I was seeing it through the lens of being able to be educated about that community. And I really, I thought her perspective of like, she was, when she said, no, I'm not really writing it for that reason at all. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, hopefully someone will, but it was for someone else to feel like, oh, they're heard. They're not alone. Yeah. And that kind of stopped me to think like, like how valid both are. Um, yeah. And it was really cool. But yeah, she, that was a, a great thing to hear her perspectives on that too. So thank yeah. you for listening. Yeah, for sure. And you know, as you're speaking, I just realized that it's probably more, I think I'm probably writing it more for me than for either you know, communities, because so much of it is internalized trauma, right? Um, I've never had the vocabulary to explain what that feels like. And that conversation has changed a lot in the last couple of years. So it's having those tools and resources to put into words and describe what it feels like to be totally marginalized. Mm-hmm. And I think that was honestly like an eye-opening moment for me to say, oh, so I was heard by that incident 10 years ago. And I'm able to, you know, somehow create this world and find space to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. It's putting, well, and, putting the past behind in some ways. Yeah. That's, that's huge. That's um, one of the podcasts. It was Hank Weedle is a guy mm. who I, he's probably dropped this last Tuesday, his, his podcast. We talked about the idea of creating, we were talking specifically about songwriting, but mm. I feel like, uh, all writing in some ways is similar, uh, not completely yeah. the same, but similar. Yeah. And we were, we were talking about the artists that we love, you know, for me, I love rap. And so it's like Joyner Lucas, Eminem, uh, you know, uh, Kendrick Lamar, this, but there's something so raw and powerful. Like you can tell they're not trying to appease anyone. They're simply yeah. trying to tell like their truth mm-hmm. as like pointed as possible and I think yeah. there's a power in that uh, for you to come even from your own book and your own writing of like, this is from my truth and, and for me in a sense. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, what's crazy growing up, I never read books about people like me, right? I read Jane Austen and, you know, Jane Austen, the first one that comes to my mind, the Brontes, Shakespeare, whatever. And I, and I just imagine, oh, this is, what the world is like. It's white people in books living their lives. And I never ever imagined 
reading a book with a person of color as the main lead. Mm. And that was really huge for me to write <clears throat> a story and with a person of color, with, an, with a man of Indian descent as a lead, because people like me, they're not, you know, they're not leads in books. Mm. It's changing now and that's amazing to see, but in all brown cast, that's, that's powerful. That's representation. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it a little different, uh, but I guess similar, it was for me, like my oldest uh, with him being black. And then um, our, my, my youngest kids are Puerto Rican, but they're like me, they look white. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but it was interesting to me when Black Panther came out and uh, yeah. they had a Black Panther, uh, you know, poster on the wall. And my yeah. boys had all these, you know, Black Panther, like helmets and the claws and everything. And they're just celebrating this. And I realized like for culture at large, up until that point, like there had not been a mainstream black superhero at that point, like for, yeah. and so it was understanding like my oldest son would always be celebrating like a white character, like, and he yeah. found something in it to identify with, but it never, that hero never looked like them. And, and then now seeing the roles reverse where it's like, now you yeah. got these like two white kids running around, like hoping they can be like this black character. Black it's character. like, Oh man, what a beautiful thing I think as far as culture and art and what it can push and, and yeah. help open people's eyes to. And, oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing. I think I had a similar moment um a couple I think it was probably last year. I read Star Daughter by Shweta Tucker. Okay. And it was an all-brown cast and on the cover is this beautiful Indian girl and I had never seen an Indian girl on the cover of a book before. Like in a sari with you know jumkas like really pretty earrings and I thought damn I have an outfit just like that <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah and I and I was like just blown away by it I was like wow things are changing I love that now for those listening what are what are some other um like Indian books or movies where it has that representation that you would suggest someone like if they're wanting to dive in um gosh it's the new Mindy Killing show never have I ever Okay. It's on Netflix. Um, so it's set here in California, but you know, I think when you think of India, what it means to be Indian, a lot of people default to being Hindu, mm -hmm. right? People who celebrate Holi or Diwali, or um, you I know, I smile because I thought about the <laughs> Office when they were doing Diwali. It, right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> with Mindy. <laughs> That's <in> the <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Because. She is a Tamilian girl who mm. does probably still celebrate Holi and Diwali, but she's a South Indian girl like I am. I'm from Bangalore and my mother tongue is Tamil. But, and I don't identify with, you know, being Hindu because I grew up in a very strict Roman Catholic family. Oh, okay. So for me, it was about <laughs> Christmas and Easter and fasting and Lent. Not as cool and as Diwali? The, I mean, I don't know. No. Oh, my gosh. No, no, no. I went to Catholic school, Miguel. Oh, God. Yeah. I imagine yeah. that's not as cool as Diwali. No. No. <laughs> um, so, um, so to me, being Indian is... Wait, what was the question again? Um, what are... If someone's listening and they're like, ooh, I would love to experience more right. things like that, like artistically, what would you suggest? Right. Check it out. Never have I ever, it tells a story of a South Indian girl. And what was amazing to me was um, it's a Tamil family and wasn't really anything in particular. It was, it was a super little things. It was the way the mom speaks to the daughter, the 
little eye movements, the, the hand gestures, and she's cursing on her breath in Tamil. And I thought, oh my gosh, that could have been my childhood. Like, that's so on point. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, never have I ever. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check it out, and hopefully the listeners will as well. Um, it reminds me, uh, I had referenced him earlier, but a uh, good friend of mine, V Tran, in his podcast, he talked about uh, growing up Vietnamese. And then he actually has a, uh, one of his big works was putting together a musical. Mm -hmm. And it's a story of his family with him as a little boy uh, fleeing from Vietnam. And they went, um, God, I think it was in Thailand. Now I'm forgetting where they were in a refugee camp for a while mm -hmm. and found their way to the middle of Kansas uh, wow. and grew up. And his dad became a, a Southern Baptist preacher, which is just such an oh interesting so journey. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, musical. It's called The Butcher's mm -hmm. Son. And so if you ever see it, up out there they, they i think they had a run in chicago for a while um but yeah but yeah if you ever get a chance check it out but it, it's amazing to see like the pictures of his or the the scenes with his mother you know and and to see what that life uh, was like for them and yeah and uh, it's like yeah i yeah. don't know it's it's a beautiful snapshot of like just a different culture in in seeing like how how they live and how they grew up and and then trying to wrestle with being in america mm -hmm. especially the middle of nowhere, Kansas, which is like yeah. super America. So, wow. Yeah. yeah I'm going to have to look that one up. Um, now you, so you grew up in like, you were raised in a Catholic school, like uh, nuns so, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> yes, my family is super Roman Catholic. They're very strict, very religious. I spent a part of my childhood in India uh, where I went to a Catholic school, but I also grew up in Dubai where I, you know, went to, um, to an all-girls school. Okay. All-girls Catholic yeah. school? No, just an all-girls no, school. No, just all-girls school. So you, <laughs> yeah. you kind of done the whole gamut. Now, India exactly. itself, like you had said, is more secular, but... Well, it's, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. What, what's yeah. that mean? <laughs> well, it's it's supposed to be secular, but, you know, like I mentioned, there's an alt-right wave overtaking the country, so we're not right. as secular as we could and should be. Gotcha. What do you think drives that uh, in India? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, uh, politics, probably. Um, yeah, yeah and a need to, I don't know, put people down. I don't know. I, I wish I had the answer, and I hate saying the words, I don't know. But in this case, I, I just don't know. Yeah, it just keeps coming from somewhere. Where, and I yeah. feel like America, it's so the stream is so clear of where it came yeah. from because it was founded on this like pseudo religious thing yeah. uh, a long time ago. Um, and it's, it's like a thing that America can never shake, even though it's mm. supposed to be more of a secularized <laughs> community yeah. in, in that, that idea. But yeah, I was just curious uh, from a different culture, different countries perspective yeah. of where that came from. But um, so one thing I notice is you and your husband like to travel a ton. It looks like. And yep. like you live out of a Jeep. Is that what it is? No, no. no we don't live out of a Jeep. I, I wish we did. <laughs> we just moved to a new house now. Um, no. So yes, we have a Jeep. Um, and the cool thing about the Jeep is that we have this incredible rooftop tent from Smitty built on top. Well, and that's what it, made me think that you guys lived out of the Jeep, at least for um, a while on that. One. I mean, I, I would love to, and maybe one day, but we're not there yet. <laughs> But yeah, we are overlanders. We go camping quite often. Okay. 
Overlanders, yeah. what is that like a Jeep specific term? I'm not cool and no. hip. I don't have a Jeep. <laughs> so I have a Dodge Journey. So I'm not that cool, but. Right. So overlanders are people who go off-road camping, like wilderness camping, like we dig holes and things like that. It's not at a campsite. It's not in national parks. We go to, to the forest. Well, from the pictures, it looked amazing. Like you were in some out there places. I was like, damn, yeah. these people are going somewhere. Yeah. So we don't, really, it sounds harsh, but we don't really like people and campsites are just, it's too much, you know, <laughs> it's too many people. It's too many kids. And, and the, the sound of the generator. Oh my God. Oh, can you tell I'm getting upset? <laughs> <laughs> just by thinking about it, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> but That's yeah, awesome. um, yeah, so we want to escape people and work and life. So, you know, maybe pre COVID, we were camping maybe every two weeks. Okay. Just driving up to our favorite spot and setting up tent was lovely. Um, we could just, there's no internet, no cell reception, just the two of us, and was was lovely. And we do that still. That's awesome. Like our family is the complete opposite when it comes to camping. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, when my wife and I, when my wife and I first got married, we took, so she, my two oldest are my stepsons and uh, we took uh, my stepsons and she was pregnant with our third son at the time. Mm-hmm. We went camping and it's like four in the morning. It was raining all night. And like, I have my pregnant wife laying on like this air mattress in a tent and she rolls well, she's over. So she's, like, she's like, I think I'm done. And I was like, oh. yeah, I'm super <laughs> done with this. So I like dumped out all of the stuff we had in our cooler, like in a, in some kind of like, you know, trash bin. And I went and found a hotel and we slept there. And so we all concluded, we tried it like once or twice more. And we all concluded we like camping. We like the yeah. fire. We like roasting yeah. things over a fire. We like hiking, but we mm-hmm. hate sleeping out there. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe if I could just I rent a campsite, you know, for a while, then I'll go sleep on a bed at a hotel. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah, it, camping is rough. And I mean, if yeah, then it hurts your back. And I get it. I get it. But I, I do like camping in the rain. I, I think that's my favorite. Camping in the rain? Oh, yeah. God. It's the, yeah, the pitter patter on the tent. Oh. Well, it sounds like you guys are camping enough to make up for our family not doing it. Yes, so that's yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool, though. When when did you guys start that? When did you get into that? Um, probably in the winter of 2018 when we first got our tent. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so you started yeah. in the winter. We started the winter. Oh yeah, wow. we go snow camping too. It's brutal. The last time we did was like minus 15, and you know, I know I hate it. I I know I do. But right now it's like 85 degrees here in San Jose. And I'm thinking, yeah, snow camping could be fun. And I get all excited about it. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. And then we're like, why? Why did I think this was a good idea? Now we're here for two days freezing our butts off. Is it the challenge of it? Is it that part of it? Or is it just the scenery? Like what draws you guys to it? Probably everything. I think mostly the solitude. Mm-hmm. It's it's the quiet, it's the solitude, it's it's just really nice to sit there, you know, listening to the wind by the fire. Oh, okay, I'm ready to go camping now. <laughs> and no and no people. And no people. Yeah, no people, it sounds yeah. like you guys go grab the Jeep. It's oh it's gosh, close yeah. enough to the weekend, you know, it's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Take a couple of days off. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, as as a writer, uh, get ready to launch your first book. If there's someone out there listening right now, what piece of advice would you give them? Like they're maybe they're in that spot where time just opened up and they've had this dream digging in their heart and their mind for a while. What would you say to them right now? 
probably the same thing I told myself. Take it one day at a time. Just keep writing. Just keep writing. Doesn't matter how many words you write. You know, ten words today, a thousand words tomorrow. It doesn't matter. Just, just keep writing. Because awesome. as long as you, you know, put the put the work in every day, you're you're gonna get there. That's some Stephen Pressfield stuff right there. So, are you familiar <laughs> with that book? The I'm not. No. It's the War of Art instead of mm. the Art of War. Uh, but it's the War of it, Art. It does and... feel like war. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it really can feel that I'm way. War with myself. <clears throat> That's for sure. Um, but yeah, if you ever get a chance, you liking the Neil Gaiman that commence that commencement speech. I think uh, it's a really quick read, uh, but he he addresses that idea of the professional writer and what it looks like and that yeah. internal battle and struggle. Mm-hmm. And me as a songwriter, I connected deeply with it. Uh, obviously, he's a he's an author himself, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. a. I think honestly is one of my top five books as far as oh, wow. um, um, like self-help for lack of a better term kind of book. It's, it's a powerful, powerful read. Okay. So I'm going to have to look that one up then. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. Um, so last two questions uh, for mm-hmm. this, it's been a great convo and I learned that you are camping way more <laughs> than, <laughs> than my family ever will, but uh, that's really cool. I, I love it. And, uh, but last two questions. Yes. Um, how, how would you define right now in your life um, what it means to live a great life? Um, it's probably a balance of everything, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the joys of it. It's a little bit of everything and hopefully small doses. It's finding time for the people I love, for the things I love, for you know, the things I want to write about. And it's also being good at my day job. I think that probably has the biggest impact on me day in and day out because I spend, you know, 10 hours a day at work. Hmm. And um, yeah, I work a corporate job. It's, you know, it's it's like a nine to five, but really it's like an eight to seven. Right. <laughs> and, and it motivates me. It helps me just be better all around. That's yeah. awesome. And, you know, you saying that, um, and that's the reality for most, most artists, right? Yeah. Is that we're living in that in-between state of, where we want to be and where we're at the reality. Like my wife and I do a, we have a commercial cleaning business uh, that we do together. Uh, And then she's a case manager. And then I spend the rest of time writing and performing, doing all that. Mm -hmm. Um, What would, what advice would you give to the artist out there? Who's in that in-between state too, since you're living that life 10 hours a day, but also getting ready to publish a badass book here in September. What, what piece of advice would you give them? Oh my gosh. Um, Don't drink too much. That's the first one. it's okay to cry um you know I think what's helped me is having a long-term plan it's telling myself you know what I'm gonna do I want to try to achieve this in this amount of time and if I can't do it then I'm gonna go on to plan B right I want to make sure that I land on my feet while still having what feels like unrealistic dreams sometimes Mm -hmm. right because I still want to have still want to live a certain lifestyle. I want to go camping and, and I want to make sure that I'm able to do those things within my, within my limits. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, the last question, uh, right now in your life, how would you define creating great things? Wow. You saved the tough one for last. Um, (laughs) (laughs) how would you describe it, Miguel? (laughs) (laughs) Um, like, so honestly, uh, to me, one, I think these definitions, at least for me, will always change and shift. 
Um, mm. And so, and it, it seems like in more conversations I have with people during seasons of their lives, it, it does change and shift. So right now I'm on the same perspective for a while. Uh, mm. I'm defining creating great things as simply finding consistency. Um, mm. I, I think I shared earlier, there was a season in my life my where life. I kind of gave up yeah. music, quote unquote, but then, then it, sorry, my, <laughs> my phone just went off for some reason in my headphones that I'm using. But, um, and so from that, it kind of just, mm-hmm. I had so much momentum and I was like, we were touring all over the place. I was writing every single day, sometimes two songs a day and had this massive consistency. It's like, I learned how to run marathons mm-hmm. every single day as an artist. Yeah. Um, but now I'm, I'm basically running a 5k or a 10k oh as an artist. Yeah. And so I'm, yeah, I'm trying to find that, that same level of consistency to get back to more of the marathon running, if you will, of, mm-hmm. of artistry. Uh, so yeah, I define it as consistency right now. And I have a feeling once I, I get to where I'm, I feel happy with that place, then mm-hmm. I'll probably find a, a new definition of, of where I want to take yeah. that next. But, but yeah, that's the journey I'm on. And it's been a, it's been a tough one. It's just like, yeah. I I'm super into endurance sports. And so I, I equate it to the same thing. And it right. really feels like that where like mentally and emotionally, it's like, oh shit, I'm running a 10 K and I'm not ready for it, but I got to keep pushing through, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably how I feel day in and day out. And then I have to remind myself that writing is a sprint. It's not a marathon. And I got to take it, you know, one day at a time. Um, but I think what's really helped me is I want to write the things that I would want to read about, things that I enjoy, that I am familiar with. Like, I just finished writing my second novel. And this was truly a love, love letter to growing up in Dubai. And and it was such a flow because I knew the world already, right? It was this warm, comforting, beautiful world that I'd already built in my head for so long. And, and it was such a joy to create something that I truly genuinely loved versus something that felt like a chore that was, hmm. you know, digging into the pits of my soul. And so <laughs> my, my goal for the future, honestly, is to just, write the things that are meaningful to me. I don't want to follow trends and be told this is never going to be published. I don't care. You know, if my husband reads it, my friends read it and, you know, they enjoy it, that's okay. That's good enough for me. That's good enough for now. Maybe something will change a year or two, five from now. That's awesome. It, that idea of digging deep into your soul. Um, yeah. It reminds me honestly of that Neil Gaiman, uh, like commencement speech where the part yeah. where he says the moment as an artist you feel you are standing like up in your underwear in front of the audience is yeah. the time where you're just starting to figure Oof. out how to create good art. And I was like, Oh God. But that's yeah. like you said, like that's where I think we want to be. And that's the kind of art. I think that lasts, you know, yeah. that, that, that kind of art that people say, yeah, I saw myself in that. And uh, that, that just, that gives me chills thinking about. So that's cool. <laughs> and yeah. so you just finished your second book. Is that what you said? Right. Writing it? That's right. It's the first of a trilogy. And it's basically a discovery of witches meets um, A Thousand and One Nights. Okay. It's an Arabian adventure novel um, with jinns and magic lamps and dragons. It's it's cool. I, I never imagined that I would write fantasy because so much of my work is honestly based in science fiction, right? As a difference in aerospace journalist, we're looking in the future. We're talking about technology. And I always said, yeah, I'm just going to write science fiction because that's that's where my comfort is. Right. But instead, I found that I, I'm i surprisingly good at, at fantasy. I was like, wow, okay, who knew? 
<laughs> You're like, hell yeah, another thing going. Well, yeah. and what I the reason I asked that too is because you haven't released your first book and you right. just finished your second one. Right. And I love that. And <laughs> it's the reality, like any artist listening to this right now, like that's reality. Like I'm releasing music right now. I'm writing shit for 2023 because I'm in the studio right. for 2022 and I'm yeah. writing the things that I'll be in the studio for next year. And I, I had a friend just, he's been working his ass off for years and years and years. Just this past Friday, he's finally on a record that's probably going to go platinum. Wow. And it's his first big thing. And Amazing. like the next day he was back in the studio yeah. hustling and doing it. Cause that's that real life. You each that really step is, and, yeah. And you're a badass because you you already finished your second book, haven't released your first one. I love it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Thank awesome. you. No, I mean, because in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, this probably is going to see the light of until like 2025. But my goal, my ultimate goal and hope is that I'll get to a point where I have one book coming out every single year for as long awesome. as I can physically and mentally keep up. But, you know, it's a long winding road. Who knows what the future holds No. Right. Awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing your story and let everyone know how they can connect with you and how they can. Are you doing pre-orders already? Right. So you can pre-order on um, for the Kindle already. The ebook is out. We're still waiting on the hot copy. But um, once it's live, I'm you best believe that I'm going to be shouting from the rooftops about it. Like you're, you're not going to miss it. Okay. Awesome. So, well, so yeah, let them. Yeah. So on your social media, then, even though you don't like yes. it, you'll have to push it because you're yes. trying to sell a book. Uh, let right. them know where they can follow you on social media then. Right. So on Twitter and Facebook, I'm at Bindia Schaefer. And on Instagram, I'm author Bindia Schaefer. And if you want to follow the overlanding stuff, I'm at Mudda Fluffer. Like, <laughs> M-U-D-D-E-R, and it's some pretty badass photos if you, guys, <laughs> if you guys follow that. It's really awesome. So, well, thanks for making the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Miguel. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.